Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here this morning. We are finishing up this five-part series. Oh, wherever you are, we're done. Okay, it's over today. Hope starts clapping when we finish the series. He only likes the one-part series. He doesn't like anything more than one. So uh, we get going long. He, he's ready to end it. But we're glad you're here this morning. We're going to finish it up. We've talked about Second um, Corinthians here where Paul has led us through some verses about being humble and being authentic and being persistent. And last week we talked about being certain because the best is yet to be. And then today we're going to finish this up um, where he talks about being contagious because we can make a difference. And so let's jump right in. Let me just ask you this morning, do you... Consider yourself a contagious Christian. For those of you in the room who say, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm all in. Do you consider yourself a contagious Christian? In other words, are other people drawn to Jesus by the way that you live your life? Because if Jesus has made a huge impact in our lives, and for many of us he has, and if we have built relationships with unbelievers, which we should be doing, And if we're communicating the good news clearly, we should be leading people to Jesus. Now listen, I get it. I know that the gospel is not going to attract everyone, no matter how contagious we are. Jesus even said it himself. He warned that there would be those who were offended by the cross. And that some people would simply love darkness more than they love light. But... The problem is that many of us believers, we make, listen, Christianity unattractive. That's just the truth. Sometimes we're boring and have no joy. Sometimes we act hypocritical and are negative all the time. Mark Twain once said this. He once joked that being around Christians, he said, was heaven for climate and hell for company. That's what he said. Heaven for climate, but man, hell for company, right? We don't want to be like that. Jesus said the opposite should be true. He said, you are the salt of the earth. What salt do? It adds flavor to food, right? Then he said, you are the light of the world. Well, light attracts out of darkness. Look at Titus 2.10 where it says, then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. And so we're finishing up this series today. We've called Uncertain Confidence. And the passage we're going to look at today, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21, teaches us about being the most contagious representatives for Jesus that we can be. And we've had a theme verse each, um, each week of this series. And so today... Our theme verse is going to be verse 20, where Paul says this. And we're going to come back to this on and on today, but he says this in verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. That means messengers. God is making his appeal through you and I. We speak for Christ. We're speaking for him when we plead, come back to God. And so this morning, as we get into these verses, we're going to see four words that in, in this section here that should help us to make Christianity contagious in a world in which we live that is becoming increasingly uncertain, is it not, and eternally lost. 
So let's jump right in here. Four words I want to give you can take home the application part today to help us make Christianity contagious. The first one is this. We got to be transparent. We have to be see-through, transparent. We should be transparent about our intentions to share the gospel. Okay? 2 Corinthians, look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Paul said this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to do what? To persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope that you know this too. Paul said, because we understand our fearful responsibility. Three times the scriptures say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A relationship with God begins with respecting Him for who He is as the Creator, as Opie was saying earlier, as Savior and Lord. And as we come to know God's love, that perfect love drives out fear. But there should always be a respect for the authority that God has in our lives. He is our Lord, not just our Savior. He's the boss of our lives. And so what's that look like? Well, we respect God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. When he's your Lord, you respect him that he's large and in charge. He's the man. He says it, I do it. We value Jesus as the Son of God who died for our sins in our place. We honor the Bible as the Word of God, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we appreciate the difference that His presence makes every day in our lives. And since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Now, that word persuade does not mean to force. It actually means to convince or to influence. The world, you know, that we live in doesn't understand that. You know, you hear them say things to us such as, you know, why are you Christians always trying to persuade people that you're right? Why are you trying to persuade people from other religions to believe the way that you do? Why are you imposing your values on others? I mean, just leave people alone. Let people believe the way they want to believe. Ever heard that? Listen, there are two reasons why we try to persuade people to accept Jesus. The first one is he commanded us to. He's our Lord. We do what he says. He commanded us to. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And if we respect him as our Lord, we obey his commands. He told us to, we do it. The, the second reason why we try to persuade people to accept Jesus, listen, it's human nature. It's just human nature to share good news if you really believe it's helpful, right? When you have good news you think will help somebody, do you not want to share it with them? I mean, think about it. People have all kinds of suggestions to share with us when we're sick, don't they? All these home remedies, the, you know, grandma's cough medicine and all this stuff, they'll share anything with you when you're sick. You know, try honey and cinnamon. It cures everything. Drink pickle juice, Epsom salt, on and on and on, right? It's helpful when you're sick, and so people want to share it. Well, we know we need to fear the Lord. We know we need to have a healthy respect for who God is. And we know that Jesus has rescued us from ourselves and from our sin. We know that he conquered death 
we know that he has given us, some of us in the room, a purpose for living. And if we truly believe that, we are going to want to share that good news with other people. Listen, if you don't want to, okay, if we have all that and we don't want to share that good news, we probably either really don't believe it ourselves or we simply don't care about other people. That's the truth. If we don't want to share the good news, we probably really don't believe it ourselves or we don't care all that much about other people. The scriptures say that it is Jesus, it's his love that compels us, it says, to share the gospel, to share the good news. In Acts chapter 26, it, it talks about how Paul was summoned before King Agrippa. And he was asked to defend himself against the charge that he was an insurrectionist. He was rebelling against the government. And Paul stood there on that witness stand, and he had shared his story with him, his testimony. And he shared how, how he hadn't believed in Jesus until Jesus actually appeared to him in person on the road to Damascus. And then it says Paul looks straight at King Agrippa, and he says this in verse 26. He says, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. And then he looked right at him, and he asked, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul in verse 28, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? But I want you to notice what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say what many, in our, many Christians in our culture would say today. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, King. I didn't mean to offend you. you. You must have misunderstood me. I'm not trying to persuade you to become a Christian. I mean, your religion is good enough if it works for you. Do you read that anywhere in there? No. Paul says in verse 29, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains that I'm wearing. Guys, Paul didn't fake it. He was out to, his, to win as many people to Jesus as he possibly could. And he was real about it. So let's not pretend. Let, let's not pretend. Let's not see if we can slowly sneak up on people. Let's not disguise or, or sugarcoat the message. No, let's live courageous with a humbled confidence and a holy boldness. And listen, let's make no mistake about it. We are definitely trying to win people to Jesus. I mean, listen, that was his entire mission. His entire mission was to seek and to save lost people. And if that was our leader's entire mission, then it should be our mission as well. And the truth is this, guys, people will respect us more if we're just honest about our intentions. Remember our theme verse from today. We are Christ's messengers, ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So in order to be contagious, we as Christians should be transparent. Listen, not just in our intentions, but also in our behavior. Verse 11 said, God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too, he said. And I like the way the message paraphrases verse 12 when it says this. <clears throat> it says, we're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. 
We just thought it would make you feel good, proud even, that we're on your side. And listen, not just nice to your face, as so many people are. And guys, the truth is we can disarm a lot of people by just being real and admitting our weaknesses, can't we? I mean, it's attractive when people are just honest and they just shoot straight with you and say, listen, I'm no different. I'm capable of any sin. I'm not a real good person compared to my standard, the righteousness of God. I need Jesus to restrain my desires. Sometimes I have evil desires. I need God to rein those in. And when we are real about our weaknesses, the world, the watching world, will see that as an authentic relationship with God. And listen, that balance makes Christianity contagious when you're just real. You just will. You're real. Boast about your weaknesses. The second word I want you to take home is this. And that's not just be transparent, but be intense. Intense. If we want to make Christianity contagious, we must be intense in our efforts to represent the truth. Look at it in verse 13. Paul said, if it seems, if it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. You know the one characteristic that's consistent in any, anybody who's a good motivator of people is enthusiasm. I mean, enthusiasm enables people to overcome obstacles. It's contagious. It inspires and it motivates. And it's not necessarily loud, and it doesn't mean you got to lead a pep rally, you know, but it does mean energetic and intense focused and passionate. You don't have to be some extroverted, rah-rah type personality, but listen, people do have to sense an intensity about us that inspires them. Coach John Calipari is successful in motivating his players to get into physical shape. They have to be to play basketball. He's intense about it. Martha Stewart, she, was, she wasn't loud, but she was intense, enthusiastic, motivating thousands of homemakers. Richard Simmons used to motivate people to do aerobics, you know, in short shorts, for crying out loud. It was awful, but he was good at what he did, at motivating people. Good coaches, good teachers know how to motivate their players and their students, and you know, apathy, just not caring, that, that can be overcome by enthusiasm. And we need intensity when trying to make a difference in the community in which we live. That word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, entheos, and it means to dwell in God. In other words, we can't be in God and not be enthusiastic. We can't truly understand the good news, the gospel, and not be intense about it. In fact, Jesus said, lukewarm Christians make me sick. That's what he said. Don't believe me? Look at it. Revelations 3.16. It says, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Makes me sick, right? Romans 12.11. It says, never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord how? Enthusiastically. 
Listen, when Paul in Acts there in Acts 26 we were talking about, he, he was so intense in responding to Governor Festus that Governor said he had lost his mind. In verse 24, suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. I mean, too much study has made you crazy, he said. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. In, in verse 13 and 14, the way the message paraphrases that, it says, if I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me so much uh, to such extremes. He said, his love has the first and the last word in everything I do. Listen, intense Christians may seem to be out of their minds to a watching world. But listen, if the message we preach is true, the Christian is the one in the right mind. If, what, if the gospel is true, then the Christian is the one in the right mind. We can't be unmotivated about it. The love of Jesus compels us to share his message with intensity regardless of the reaction. Now listen, let, let's, say that, let's say you're at a restaurant eating with your family. And let's say you get up and you go to the bathroom, and on your way back uh, from the restroom there, you, you look to your right into the kitchen, and you see several people who are just running around frantically trying to put out a fire that has gotten out of control. If that were the case, what would you do? Okay, you looked over, you see a, a fire in the restaurant there. What would you do? Well, you would instantly get real serious, wouldn't you? You would get real serious and everybody around you would sense it. You would run to your family and you would get them out of there to safety. And you would yell, fire, get out, everybody, quick, get out, fire. You know, that would disturb a lot of people, wouldn't it? It would interrupt a lot of people's dinner. They wouldn't want to hear it. If it were not true, you'd be considered obnoxious and you could be arrested. But listen, if it's true, you would be immoral not to warn as many people as you could as quickly as you could, right? I see it all the time. Friends of mine even who claim to be Christians who are supporting immoral things that God has burnt cities down over in the name of love. Guys, I'm telling you, more of us need to do what the restaurant illustration is telling us to do if we truly believe that people are headed to an eternity without God, we should be yelling, fire, get out. I guarantee you if that were the case, the restaurant situation there, that you wouldn't just casually say, hey guys, you know, I've got an idea. Why don't we all pick up our plates and in the next few minutes, let's walk outside and eat on the lawn. The weather's nice outside. Let's do that. Guarantee you, you wouldn't approach it like that. You would be so intense that you'd probably be able to convince the entire restaurant that they needed to evacuate quickly. So please hear me. If there really is a danger of hell and there really is a reward of heaven, then listen, we have an obligation 
to warn and persuade people with boldness and with intensity. We can't sit back on our hands and just say, I just believe whatever you want. If you burn up in the restaurant, you burn up. I'm going to go on and do my thing. Guys, we got to care about people. doesn't mean they're going to accept Jesus every time. In fact, a lot of times they won't. But we have to warn them if we say we love them. Now, I was thinking about that analogy, and it breaks down on two levels, okay, two aspects. The first thing is there's probably more time to make a decision than just a few seconds. Not necessarily, but, but probably. There may be months, even years, before people face the judgment of God. But, but maybe not. Who knows? Only God knows. And, and the second thing is, you're probably not the first person to warn them. In most cases, people have heard the warning, and they have either disregarded it or rejected it. And they mock those of us who stand up and shout fire. In fact, the people who hold up, you know, the signs on the street corners you'll see from time to time, like repent or perish or turn or burn, those people trying to warn people about hell are not usually very effective in persuading people to come to Jesus. I get it. We have to be more gentle. We have to be more tactful. We have to be more patient, more involved in people's lives. But they should still sense an intensity about you and I that is contagious. You know, the truth is, and again, this is convicting to me, but it should hurt us emotionally that those we love are not saved and headed towards an eternity without God. That should hurt us. That should bother us. You look in the scriptures, Jesus wept over Jerusalem's rebellious spirit. Remember that? Paul wept when he told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 31. He said, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with what? With tears. Once again, our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Listen, we're God's ambassadors, you and I. There's no plan B. It's, it's the church. We're his messengers. God is making his appeal. How? Through us. We speak for him when we plead with people. We don't sit back and just believe what you want. No, we plead with people. Come back to God. Come back to God. Third word is perceptive. You and I can make Christianity contagious if we are perceptive about the potential in people. Look at it in verse 16. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. No, that old life, that's gone. A new life has begun. You know, the world evaluates people on what's on the outside, don't they? If you're rich, if you're good looking, if you're famous, the the world values you. But otherwise, they just don't see you as much and they ignore you. In verse 12, it talks about how the world takes pride in what's seen with our eyes rather than what's in our hearts. And Paul admits that he didn't think Jesus was the Messiah at first, right? He persecuted Christians. He said because he didn't have impressive worldly credentials. So he didn't believe Jesus was who he was claiming to be. 
But guys, listen, if we're going to make Christianity contagious, it is vital, it's important that we see people the way God sees them. The world only sees on what's on the outside. We have got to see what's in the heart. The world sees possessions. We need to see potential. You know, when you read through the scriptures, that's what people loved about Jesus when when he walked upon the earth for 33 years. He looked at people for what they could become rather than who they were or what they had been in the past. All of us have a past. But think about it. The way he treated people and the lives that were changed. I mean, think about who, who would have ever thought that Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times, even knew who he was. He, he was hot or cold. He lived on the extremes. But who would have thought that he would become a rock-solid leader? And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on what you just said there, Peter. Who would have thought that the persecutor Saul would become the preacher Paul? That the demon-possessed Mary Magdalene would be the first to see the resurrected Jesus. That the proud intellectual Nicodemus would humbly be born again. That, that the cheating tax collector Zacchaeus, that he would host Jesus for dinner. You remember the, the woman at the well came out to get water? And when she did, other people would have just seen an immoral woman who'd been married five times and was now living with a man that she wasn't married to. And she was a Samaritan, a foreigner to Jesus, who practiced a different religion. But Jesus saw something in her, and he asked her, can I have a drink? He said, would you help me? And he broke down that conversational barrier, and he convinced her into believing in who he was. And what happened? She went out and she told everyone in the city what happened, and the village came out to see for themselves. Other people just, just saw an impure woman. But no, Jesus saw, here's an effective messenger who can share the good news. The Pharisees, those professional good people in the Bible, made up their own rules, kept on, pat themselves on the back. They only saw the externals in people. They looked at Jesus and were just disgusted and said, oh gosh, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. That's what they said. But Jesus saw those tax collectors and sinners as people, as disciples and friends who were being changed every day from the inside out. So can I just ask you this morning, how do we see the people that we associate with regularly? How do we look at them? Are they our friends who are being transformed from the inside out? Or are we just thinking, ah, a bunch of tax collectors and sinners? Do we categorize them by what's on the outside, or do we look at the heart? Jesus said, if anyone is in me, they're a new creation. The old way they used to live, that's gone. The new has come. I'm 47, and I still remember my second grade teacher, Miss Lee, at Catskill Elementary School in California. Because she and her husband, uh, they took me to watch my first college football game at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. And I'm still to this day a USC fan uh, because of it. And we had a picnic there on the lawn by the stadium. And they were Korean, but you know what we ate that day? KFC right there on the lawn. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because she knew I was from Kentucky. There they were. Just, just helping out a sick mother 
whose little boy loved sports. I remember my sixth grade teacher, Miss Willisey, would send me cards and she would write me letters for years after I moved back here to Kentucky just to let me know that she cared. She didn't have to do that. I wasn't just another number in her classroom full of students. Coaches, teachers, youth workers, it is so important that we see people not from a worldly point of view, but that we see the heart. The potential, what what could be, what's going to be. And we do what we can to make Jesus attractive to them. You know, each week here in our church, you sit next to people who were once very sinful in the way we lived. When you go to a life group and you hear our stories, you'll see right away that we didn't always have it together. Still don't. But somewhere along the way, somebody saw us for what we could become. And they invited us to church or introduced us to Jesus and we were changed. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The last word I want to leave you with is this. Ministry. Ministry. We can make Christianity contagious if we are committed to a ministry from God. Look at it in verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Thank God. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now let's say, for example, let's say you have some friends who are in deep financial trouble. They've they've gotten into trouble over the years with their finances, and they've made some serious mistakes with money, and they've repented of it. But listen, they're $50,000 in debt, and the bill collectors are just hounding them, won't leave them alone. And they're in danger now of losing their house and and losing their car. And let's say, for example, that, that you know a wealthy businessman and who's, he's heard about your friend's situation. And he comes up to you and says, you know what? I'd like to help. I want to help. I've heard about what's going on with them. I know they've repented. I know they're trying. I just want to help. Here's a check for $100,000 for them. $50,000 to pay off their debts and $50,000 to put into their checking account to help them for the future. Would you care to give that to him for me? Just hand this check to him, deliver it. We'd be chomping at the bit to get over there, wouldn't we? I mean, we couldn't wait to get over there and share with them the good news and give them the check at what what had just happened and how their world's about to change. Well, listen to me. People are under a huge debt of sin. We're never going to be able to pay it back. Satan is eager to collect what's due to him, death. But God, see no signs around, but God. But God has offered to pay the debt in full through Jesus and his death on the cross. And not only will he pay the debt, but he will also add righteousness to our accounts. The scripture said that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Guys, it's our ministry. You think you're not a minister? If you're a Christian, you're a minister. It's our ministry to bring those who are at odds with God to peace and to reconciliation with him, that scripture says. What an incredible assignment that God's given you and I. I mean, you think your life has no purpose. If you're a Christian, you've got all kinds of purpose. God's given us this incredible assignment. We are called to share the good news. And listen, it's not an obligation. It's a privilege. I mean, it is joy when God communicates his message through us. And that's why it's important that we communicate the good news clearly and accurately. It says we're ambassadors, messengers. We're not negotiators. Listen, we represent the king of the universe while living here in this foreign land, the Bible calls it. And even though some people won't receive his message, I get it, we still are called to share it accurately and not change it. So many people are in the habit of doing in our culture. The Bible is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It won't change. So don't listen to people who are trying to change it. And when you and I understand this ministry that God has called you and I to, we do everything we can to represent Jesus. And when we do that, listen, our faith becomes contagious. Listen, we're not going to influence people with political power or intimidating protests. That's not how it's going to happen. Christianity becomes contagious when we look at it as ministry. And that simply means to care for one another. To care for one another. To give attention to one another. You know, a minister is just simply one who, like Jesus, comes to serve and not to be served. That's really it. Look at verse 15. It says, He died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, not selfish anymore. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. When a Christian lives unselfishly and genuinely, truly cares for other people, guys, there's an undeniable attraction that's almost irresistible to a watching world. Now I'm sure you've Notice recently, but our culture is becoming more and more hostile towards Christians. And we're not going to win them over by making our valid points on social media. We're not going to win them over by getting them to change political parties. Political parties don't save us. Only Jesus can do that. And there are some hard hearts out there. But listen, the only way to soften them is by living unselfishly, truly caring for other people. Listen, even for those people who don't believe the way we believe. Truly caring for them. God has called you and I to be his messengers to the world that we live in, in our community. To be as contagious as possible. And that means that we need to be transparent in our behavior. It means we've got to be intense in our attitudes. And we've got to be perceptive about the positive potential of people. And we've got to have a ministry of service and love.
so needed in our world right now. We need the assurance and the hope that only Jesus can give. He's the only one. I want to close with our theme verse just one more time as the band comes forward. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Let's just, do we have that on the screen? Let's, can we all just read that verse, our theme verse, out loud together one last time? It says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Let's all stand as the band leads us in this closing song. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.